people who work in the prison system would have another, and I think it's up to people to decide uh, you know, where, where the truth is. Give government propaganda and the media spin doctors the flick. And check out Doin' Time for news, views and tunes on prison issues from Guantanamo Bay to Christmas Island to prisons and detention centres everywhere. Every Monday at 4pm on your community radio 3CR. We are still fired up and we're still talking about revolution. Hello and welcome to the Doin' Time Show. This is 3CR Community Radio, 855am on the dial, streaming live on www.3cr.org.au. This is Marissa and Peter is around somewhere as well and he'll be joining me for some of it um, in the studio and we'll be taking you through until 5 o'clock this evening. Uh, just a special announcement before I introduce the show. Today is the is the beginning of Radiothon, so we have all our language um, programmers and um, ethnic broadcasters, um, and I believe Radiothon ends around the seventeenth of June. Our show um, is next Monday for the Doin' Time show, which is um, the the eleventh of June, and uh, sorry, the tenth of June, and our target is eight hundred and fifty dollars. Today we are doing a special broadcast on reconciliation and as listeners may be, will be aware, um, it is Reconciliation Week, the end of it, and today is Marbo Day. Marbo Day should really be um, celebrated and a public holiday. The theme for Recon- Reconciliation um, Week this year is called Grounded in Truth, Walk Together with Courage. And we're, we're going to be speaking shortly um, with with board member, um, with a board member from Reconciliation Australia. Um, we're speaking with Kirsty Kirsty Parker, who's lovely actually. I was speaking to her off air and she's going to talk about some of the events that are happening. At its heart, Recon- Reconciliation is about strengthening relationships between Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples and non-Indigenous peoples for the benefit of all Australians. A reconciled Australia is one where our rights as first Australians are not just respected but championed in all the places that matter. Um, and that's um, Kirsty Parker because um, I was reading stuff from, from the website there. And then after that we're going to be speaking um, with we're going to be speaking with Lisa Jackson about a massacre at Mile Creek and the Doin' Time show is instrumental in honouring people that have died and have had that and in the massacres and we make it our business to make sure that those massacres are acknowledged at all times on the show. I'm actually going to be going into an announcement and I'm hoping that we can line up Kirsty pretty soon. The 3CR Radiothon is here. And this year, we're asking you to power Radical Radio. That's right. It's with your support that we're able to be independent, community-controlled and focused on people rather than profits. Your support during Radiothon powers the station to give voice to hundreds of people and issues for another year. And remember, any amount you can afford makes a big difference and all donations over $2 are tax-deductible. 3CR Radiothon 2019... June the 3rd to the 16th. Power Radical Radio. And you're back with the Doing Time show. And I'm hoping that we've got Kirsty on the line. Hello, Kirsty. Welcome to the program. You have. Hi, Marissa. How are you going? Good. It's lovely to have you. And Kirsty, I'm just wondering if you could talk about Reconciliation Week. But before we do that, can you just tell listeners what land you're from? Uh, I'm from Uellarai country, which is in northwestern New South Wales. So my um, family are the lambs who um, still live in and around Gaduga and um, up the road at Walgett and over the border in St George and Toowoomba. Wow, that's a, a long spread, isn't it? It's a bit of a spread, you know. We, we like to share the love around. Toowoomba's actually in far you know, north Queensland, isn't it? Sorry, Toowoomba's in Queensland, isn't it? Far north Queensland? It is, but in southern Queensland. Southern, so southern. Not far over the border. 
Beautiful. So for Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples, Australia's colonial history is characterised by devastating land possession, violence and racism. Can you talk to us about reconciliation and the place that that has in trying to combat that? Mm, we can. So we um, know, um, I'm talking collectively, um, I guess, as your listeners and those Australians that are involved with the reconciliation movement, that Australia has a very sorry history in terms of its dealings with Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people. Um, and these are the sorts of things that haven't always had a light shone on them. Um, it's meant that the relationships that we've had haven't been based, I guess, on the sort of truth that you would that should underpin any relationship. So um, the work of Reconciliation Australia, basically, is to encourage those conversations to be had in total honesty and um, to say to people, and, you know, this is one of the themes of Reconciliation Week um, uh, this year, you mentioned it's grounded in truth, walk together, in, walk together with courage. And this is really about, I guess, saying to people, get uncomfortable, oh, get comfortable with being uncomfortable, I guess. Um, we can't just have the same sorts of conversations we've had for 2,000 plus years, 200 plus years. Um, we need to be acknowledging the truths from Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander perspective. So I guess what people have characterised as the view from the shore, if we're talking about the arrival of um, non-Aboriginal people versus the view from the ship. Absolutely. Now, when you say the view from the ship, what does that mean to you? Um, so this is, you know, the um, the legal fiction that was um, overturned effectively by the High Court's Mabo decision, and you referred to today as Mabo Day, and it's a, it's a day where we celebrate, you know, the heroic efforts of um, Eddie Corky Mabo and his co-plaintiffs in Mabo versus Queensland. But essentially that um, when uh, Australia was colonised or invaded that Australia was an empty land or terra nullius um, and that there weren't people here with sophisticated systems of ownership and uh, managing the country and their connections to country. So um, that was obviously um, uh, exposed in the uh, High Court's Mabo judgment and that was really unlocking a key, I think, um, you know, to our more truthful kind of relationships to say that we were here, we've always been here, and um, this country has benefited by our presence. Absolutely, and I'm so glad that you mentioned Marbo Day. Um, I think there is it my imagination, or do you think that there's more um, material being looked at in, in the mainstream media this year? Um, I don't know. I, I've got to say that um, it's been a pretty full-on week, and... Um, there's been some quite strong correlation between the conversations that were being had before National Reconciliation Week. Um, you know, uh, obviously, Sorry Day was the day before NRW began, but we have been engaged in conversations, I guess, full pelt for um, the last two years as a consequence of the Uluru Statement from the Heart. And there's um, been a lot of energy devoted I guess, around the groundswell of support for the Uluru Statement that has led into NRW, which is about, um, you know, being grounded in truth. And we also know that the theme of uh, NAIDOC Week this year is also voice treaty truth. So there's certainly a lot of energy around it. And um, I have to say that I think the theme has been quite inspired because um, it has built upon, you know, the, the conversations that are already being had um, it's certainly building on the work of Reconciliation Australia, which has always advocated for truth. You know, we see historical acceptance of the truth as a key dimension of reconciliation. Um, but trying to build on, I guess, the momentum that is is swelling in this area. And it's been great to see. You know, I've been involved um, in Reconciliation Week for many years now, but this week feels like, um, this year feels like we're uh, turning the tide. Can you tell us about some of the events of, that happened over Reconciliation Week that you've you've particularly enjoyed? Well, we had a um, uh, reconciliation breakfast here in South Australia, and they're always a massive event. There were, I think, nineteen hundred plus people that um, got out of bed pretty early. I have to say, it started at six forty-five wow. uh, on Monday morning, and 
um, you know, a tremendous turnout. And South Australians do these sorts of events very well, I have to say. That event was co-hosted by um, Reconciliation South Australia um, with the community. And there was a, um, a very thought-provoking speech by the keynote speaker, Dr Chelsea Bond, who um, was really honest about um, her... Um, I guess lack of engagement to date with Reconciliation Week, saying I haven't really been a fan because I need Reconciliation to be about, um, you know, the the real truths, the, I guess, the, the day-to-day experiences of Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people. And she mentioned that Reconciliation Week um, could be considered a white thing. And, uh, you know, this is a... It's a very valid kind of a conversation because um, the... The problem, I guess, hasn't been Aboriginal people not being exposed to and aware of, you know, white history and white constructs and so on. It really has been about broader Australia not knowing the true history of this country. Um, and she really challenged people. Um, you know, there were uh, there was a real variety of people in the audience and she challenged people to say, um, it can't stop at window dressing. It actually has to go much, much deeper. And this is music to my ears, obviously, because... Um, you know, I feel that we don't have anything to fear from the truth. What we do have to fear is people that would close the door on the truth because it just sets back our cause um, um, in a really unhealthy kind of a way for Australia. So, um, you know, all throughout the week, I know that um, Chelsea's words were quite challenging for people. I'm talking about non-Aboriginal people. Um, most of the Aboriginal people I spoke to said every word that came out of Dr Bond's mouth was absolute truth. But it was really saying to people, you can always do more. Don't congratulate yourself and pat yourself on the back and say, you know, we've done something that looks nice. Um, you know, we may have held a reconciliation morning tea or we might have um, unveiled branding, you know, for our government offices that um, bears the artwork of Aboriginal people. Um, when the practices and the policies and the programs that we operate do not um, are not Aboriginal or Torres Strait Islander-led, and um, they're not being built from the ground up from our perspective. So that was a great start to the week. Um, I spoke personally to a group, uh, the Chartered Accountants of Australia and New Zealand, Good. who um, had reached a house and said, and cut me off at any time, no, any no. time that you like, because it was a very big week. This but, is good. Um, yep. This was this was a conversation being had, you know, in a... Um, uh, boardroom in the middle of Adelaide with a fantastic view, obviously very expensive real estate in a kind of a moneyed setting where people were saying, we actually want to do what we have a responsibility to do, you know, what's within our reach, first of all, just as Australians, but also, you know, what can we do, for example, in building the cohort of Aboriginal accountants? What can we do to support financial literacy in Aboriginal communities? And they were really enthusiastic. And um, I have to say, totally there in terms of the honest conversations that have to be had. And, um, you know, no one's been shying away um, uh, violently from this idea that we have to get uncomfortable about the discussions we're about to have, and it's absolutely fine. I went to a commemoration of um, Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander um, veterans um, that was... Uh, addressed by Dr Jackie Huggins, who's the co-chair of the National Congress of Australia's First People, who spoke eloquently and courageously and really honestly about the experiences of Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander service women and servicemen um, when they came back to Australia after the war. And we know the legacy that, you know, um, uh, our communities and our families have not enjoyed because, for example, soldier settler packages were denied to people that served you know, for this country. Yeah. So she spoke about her own experiences. And, you know, so basically there's been a real myriad of events, only, you know, some of which I've dipped a toe in, but, you know, schools, businesses, um, government departments, um, organisations throughout the community were not just engaged in reconciliation, but they were very engaged in this very important thing. That's fantastic. And, you know, I'm sure there were lots and lots of events, but it's always give good to give a little bit of a... A summary of just a few. So in regards to reconciliation, and I don't know, I'm hoping this is not going to be too confronting. Um, I don't think it will be because I, I think you're pretty honest. But I suppose I just wanted to know, like a lot of elders, Aboriginal elders, are not happy with the Uluru Statement. Why do you think that is? 
Um, well, I'd, I'd, I'd probably direct a question back to you, Marissa, and yes. say, um, when you say a lot of elders, I Not certainly all. think that there is, there is contention within our communities. Absolutely. And, uh, you know, I was a delegate at the Uluru Convention. I'm sure. a proud signatory to the Uluru Statement. But I also know that there were um, representatives at the Uluru Convention, including some people from Victoria, who felt that um, they couldn't agree with the statement or, I guess, the views that were being espoused. And they're perfectly entitled... Absolutely. ..to have those views. I mean, yeah. you know... Yeah. But let me, be clearer. Let, let me be clearer, um, Kirsty, and, and just say that a, a few of them, and, and I'm, I don't want to name on air, but a few of them felt that there was so, there are so many clans and so many, you know, different um, language groups and they some of them felt that they, there wasn't proper consultation and resourcing. And I suppose this will take a whole show, so I'm not expecting it. <laughs> You know, oh, we could well, go on you, all night, but I just wanted to mention that to any, you. Yeah, You won't have any contention from me on that because yeah. I know that the process was imperfect. Sure. And um, no process is ever perfect. And I speak from personal experience of the struggle that um, was had in terms of persuading the government to even support an Indigenous-led and Indigenous-designed process. Myself, um, uh, Megan... Um, Davis, yeah. Patrick Dodson and Noel Pearson went and met with the then Prime Minister, Tony Abbott, and said, you can't go around and um, conduct, I guess, a town hall process where all Australians come and have a say on this when this is really about us. We actually have to have a conversation amongst our communities. But there is, it's, it's a fact that the funding that was applied to that process um, should have been greater um, we should have had more time. Um, we should have been able to um, undertake broader consultations within our specific communities. But I know that what could be done was done. And, you know, I accept that there will be criticism of that. Um, opportunities that presented themselves were seized. And um, I know that a very broad swathe of the Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander community was um, pleased with, I guess, the outcome of the Uluru Convention and that being the Uluru Statement. Thank you for that because I, I really wanted to have that clarified because that's pretty central, isn't it, to reconciliation in Australia? Um, well, it is, you know, and, you know, we are, our history is so far from perfect, it's not funny. And that, um, you know, that kind of sense of, you know, uh, discontent or unhappiness that pervades every area of Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander affairs is perfectly legitimate. What we do have to do is strive always to ensure that we get to as most as many people as we can. We take into consideration people's different histories, their um, different clans, their different views. And, you know, I note and, um, you know, honour the process that's being undertaken in Victoria now. I know that even in Victoria things, you know, are, can be contentious and, um, uh, you know, there will be differences of opinions amongst our communities, but we have to keep talking to each other um, in a way that honours, you know, the, the efforts of our ancestors to say we work with other Aboriginal groups and other Aboriginal clans and we will take care of this business internally because it cannot be imposed on us externally. Absolutely. And and we don't have time to talk about too much more, but I'd love to have you back, Kirsty, if if you're interested, um, maybe sometime to talk about this further and, and to discuss sovereignty and, you know, treaty, because that's definitely important, isn't it? Oh, absolutely. You know, the Uluru Statement calls for um, the negotiation of treaty slash treaties or agreements with Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander groups throughout the country. How we approach that is going to be really interesting and there's a lot of conversation that has to be had within our communities because, as I say, there are lots of different views. I love to talk about sovereignty. I know that, again, on that issue, there is some disagreement around whether even engaging in a conversation about the Constitution... Um, whether that, um, in effect, sees sovereignty. Personally, I don't believe that it does. Yeah. You know, I've seen legal opinion from Aboriginal legal scholars that it doesn't. Um, of course, everyone is entitled to their opinion, but, you know, I regard myself as a sovereign person. 
I um, very conscience, consciously um, uh, go into these sorts of conversations knowing that I am a sovereign person, I am a Ulaloi woman, as well as you know a person from New South Wales and as well as a person that lives on this continent of Australia. Um, we are never going to agree on everything, but we have to keep talking to each other. So I'd be very pleased to come back on the program. Thank you so much, Kirsty. And thanks for mentioning um, Marbo Day, because on this day, the 3rd of June 1992, just for listeners' benefit, the High Court of Australia ended the legal fiction um, of the Australian continent and the islands surrounding Australia were owned by no one. And that's true, isn't it? That's absolutely true. I remember joining, um, I was driving down from Cairns to Canberra. I was taking up a role as the media advisor to then Minister, Robert Tickner. Um, and as we drove down the coast, it came on the radio that the High Court had come up with this incredible decision. You know, it was kind of uh, news to a lot of people, but obviously hadn't been news to the people that were involved. I think the court case lasted for 10 years. It was an absolutely heroic effort. And Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people all around the country pay homage to um, Eddie Koiki Mabo and his fellow plaintiffs today. Um, Eddie did not, unfortunately, survive to see that judgment, but, um, you know, he continues to be a hero in all of our eyes. Kirsty, thank you so much for, for coming onto the program. It was a great honour, and um, I'm hoping that we can hear back from you very soon. Hope so. Thanks, Marissa. Take care. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. And that was Kirsty Parker from Reconciliation Australia. Um, and we had a really um, productive and interesting um, discussion. Um, so we'll continue with our show um, and we're going to be go- having a song now called um, We Have Survived. And thank you to Peter for, for helping to run this show. Um. And you're back with the Doing Time show. And shortly we're going to be interviewing... Professor Lisa Ray Jackson Pulver, and um, she comes from a traditional her traditional roots lie in a beautiful forested region of southwestern New South Wales, but whose own life has been lived in urban Sydney, mostly on the land of the of the Gadigal people. Jackson Pulver was appointed to the role of Deputy Vice Chancellor Indigenous Services and Strategy at the University of Sydney in 2018. Her previous role was of Pro Vice Chancellor Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander Leadership, Pro Vice Chancellor Engagement and at Parramatta South at Western Sydney University. Her career has progressed through positions as epidemiologist, public health officer, postgraduate health and medical student, registered nurse and counsellor. She held the inaugural chair of Indigenous Health, New South Wales School of Public Health and Community Medicine for 13 years and remains a joint professor of public health at New South Wales. Jackson Pulver's background has made her acutely aware of the lack of available data to identify underlying issues in the health for Aboriginal people who today usually reside in the large metropolitan and urban centres of Australia. Jackson Pulver is working to provide that data and she achieves this she achieves through extensive and comprehensive networks research and an impressive list of credits to her name, including leadership, presentations, publications and conference papers, public domain reports, journal articles, teaching and research. And I have actually made a point of reading that out because it's terribly important that people realise that Aboriginal people are also academics. It's not just non-Indigenous people that are academics. Aboriginal people and Torres Strait Islanders have a right to education and um, I am really, really happy to have Lisa on very soon. And we're going to be interviewing um, Lisa in the capacity of Morrill Creek, um, the Morrill Creek Massacre. And there's going to be a memorial coming up. It comes up every year. Um, each year, hundreds of people from the across the country gather on the Sunday of the June long weekend to commemorate the unprovoked massacre of 28 Wirriyo women, children and old men by a group of stockmen on Mile Creek Station in 1838. The Mile Creek Memorial um, w- was erected in June two- 2000 by a group of Aboriginal and non-Indigenous people working together in an act of reconciliation. So I'm going to be um, going into an announcement pretty soon and then um, I hopefully will be speaking with Lisa about this and, um, and, and going from there. Um, 
just to say also that since then the National Heritage Listed Massacre Site and Memorial has become an icon for healing and reconciliation across the nation. So, and you're back with the Doing Time show um, and we're back with um, the show and we're going to be interviewing Lisa Jackson now. Hello, Lisa. Welcome to the program. Oh, good afternoon. Thank you very much. Good afternoon. You are on air and I wanted to offer you, the Doing Time show wants to offer you our sincere apologies. We may have got mixed up a little bit with the time. Oh, look, early is fine. You know, I just had to run into another room. That's all. Oh. I'm sitting down and I'm ready and I, I just can't wait to talk to you. Yeah, it's great. Um, I'm not sure whether you heard my intro. No, I didn't. No. Well, during the intro, um, just before you came on, I was talking about Mile Creek and talking about the massacres that, that happened on Mile Creek. But I also talked about the fact that uh, read out your bio and talked about a lot of the roles that you have been involved in. And I made the comment that um, Aboriginal people are also academics. It's not just non-Indigenous people. Yes. Education is really is important. Yes. I think um, education is one of those things. We've always been an educated people, you know. 60,000 years ago, we were exactly. always educated people. We were always learning and growing and everything was embedded in ritual and um, and memory, and memory, you know. Never, 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 never forgetting. And uh, I think that whole idea of Aboriginal people can't be really amazing academics or anything else um, is just a ridiculous notion. It is a ridiculous notion. Lisa, could you just introduce yourself and tell us what land you're from and then lead up um, talking about um, your role in the memorial and Mile Creek? Yeah, sure. Um, I identify as a Wiradjuri woman from uh, my father's side of the family. Um, He um, or his his family um, are also connected into South Australia. Um, I've got um, connections down into Victoria as well through his part of the family. On my mum's side, um, I'm connected up north um, to uh, Dungari people um, and to um, others uh, over in uh, Wales and Scotland. So I very much feel a part of the world. Um, And some of my Welsh and Scottish uh, ancestors, my my Scottish ancestor came here as my grandfather um, to uh, as a Navy person and jumped the boat and then ended up getting himself killed for Australia in World War Two. And my other great-grandfather uh, ended up being um, in uh, Victoria and married a, an Aboriginal woman, my grandmother, on my father's side. So, yeah, it's a, it's a bit of a blend of history. Um, I was born here on Gadigal land <laughs> here in Sydney. And uh, I've lived most of my life here, um, and I've been very proud to um, have lived on some other places, but most of the time I've lived here on Gadigal land. Thank you so much, Lisa, for that, that introduction. So I'm wondering if you could talk about Mile Creek. What happened? What, and, and why is there a commemoration? Yeah, um, it's, it's, a, it's a story um, that was started... Pretty much on, you know, invasion day, you know, where people did not pay attention to the uh, ability to connect with the Aboriginal people of this land, the the ones who had been caring for this land for so long, who were here. The crazy idea that this was terra nullius when there were between 750,000 to 1.5 million people across this nation is is madness. But nonetheless, in the early uh, years of the colonial endeavour, many, many massacres um, were uh, executed against our peoples, um, many of them involving um, murder, um, many of them involving gross misjustice, um, many of them involving infectious diseases, starvation, um, all sorts of deprivations, forcing people off country, rounding them up. Uh, just the most horrifying of, of horrors. Um, in Mile Creek, um, in the early uh, 18 or the late 1830s, uh, a number of people were publicly hung at Sydney Jail. Um, and what was so notable about that was that they were the first uh, people of British descent that were executed for the murder 
and massacre of Aboriginal people. Um, and it was an extraordinary trial of justice in that instance um, that led to that. Um, then, of course, a lot of rules changed and a lot of actions occurred that um, did not hold true to the fact that um, Aboriginal people can give evidence and that people um, who are witness to those things were able to be heard in a way that did not endanger their lives. So that was what was so important um, about that. So massacres happened to try to wipe out the Aboriginal race? Is yeah, no, I, I would put it a little bit differently. I, I, Thank you. I do yeah. use the word genocide. Yes, um, yes. There was the expectation that if you could uh, remove people from their language and their culture and if you can stuff them into a box uh, that makes them look different and sound different and not be connected to country or to their community, then you've committed um, an act uh, that is tantamount to genocide. Absolutely. And to that, the fact that you murder lots of people, whether it's by, you know, your hands or by poisonings or those other things I mentioned before, then that continues to compound um, the genocide uh, that occurred on this land. So every year, people come together to honour the, um, mm -hmm. the the people that died. Yeah, so every year there is a wonderful opportunity for people to take a deep breath and reflect together what happened on that country and to not forget, to always remember and be mindful of the gross injustices that occurred on that country. And the most profound thing for me, and we're talking at the tail end of Reconciliation Week here now yes. today, um, is very much around how it is people can take responsibility um, and people can honour uh, the memories of the people who were um, killed um, and to be able to move on with love and respect and learning and acknowledging history for what it is. There's a, a message to us um, that we must never repeat. Um, and so at Mile Creek each year, people uh, from the community come together, people from other parts of Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander Australia come together and many, many people from the non-Aboriginal community come and walk um, to the memorial in a sacred space, in a sacred place to remember, including descendants of those who perpetrated this horror act. And I can't think of a better act of love and respect of the community to accept those those individuals uh, and for those individuals to uh, be able to stand there and belong. It's a really powerful message. And so I've got the honour this year of, of attending that. Oh, good. Um, so you're, the, you're going to be the guest speaker at the memorial? Uh, yes, I'll be, I'll be talking for a few moments there. Um, part of my talk is going to be very much around the idea that genocides happen because people forget or people um, make an assumption that because it happened a long time ago it doesn't have consequence or meaning now, when in actual fact what I'll be arguing is that it's because it happened a long time ago that it has an impact today. Because it happened, it has an impact. It doesn't matter about time. It's because it happened, it has an impact. And families have been changed forever because of that, and we need to be mindful of that. Absolutely, and is it fair to say we need to be mindful of the far-reaching consequences that genocide um, has on the yeah. peoples. Yeah. And it's, it's, in our, it's in our memory, you know. It's in our stories. There are people who are direct descendants uh, of that that still share that story. There are people who um, read about it in history books um, and don't quite connect with it, but the stories are there. There's even a map, you know, that lovely um, piece of work that's being done at the moment of the genocides in Australia, um, and that map is becoming more and more full so that um, we'll get to a point one day where people will recognise that the land that they live on was taken as a result of one of these horror stories unfolding that allowed them to have the benefit of living on that country. Oh, gee, it's it's a big thing for us to grip up. It's a big thing for us to understand. It really is, isn't it? Yeah. yeah. Lisa, for the benefit... It's very vast. For, for the benefit of listeners, can you describe where um, the event is being held at Mile Creek in, pa in case people want to go? Yeah, um, it's 
There's a, a meeting time that's happening. At about 9.30, people are being asked to meet at the Mile Creek Hall, um, which is uh, not far from Bingara. Um, at about 10 o'clock, there'll be, um, as I understand it, a welcome song and introductions. And then if people are able to walk, they're going to be asked to walk across the Mile Creek Bridge uh, up to the beginning of the memorial walk. If, if they can't walk, then there's an opportunity for people to use their vehicles uh, to get there. Uh, there'll be a smoking ceremony. Um, and then there'll be Aboriginal and non-Aboriginal students reading out some of the plaques that tell the story of this place and tell the story of what happened. Uh, and then I'll talk and then there'll be a lovely lunch that the CWA has put on um, to, uh, as their contribution uh, to this wonderful, wonderful gathering. Lisa, do, you, do any of the descendants come to the memorial? Yes, absolutely. The descendants on both sides of the story come. Wow. Yes. It's, that would be yeah, powerful. I know. You know, we've been talking in this country for a long time about a treaty. Many of us have looked in awe at Truth and Reconciliation Commissions at other places, in other parts of the world, where both both descendants of, of all parties come and get together and talk and and hold hands. And there is something powerful across the story of generations where you can come together and be together as one. And I think what happens at Mile Creek, uh, as horrifying as the story started, um, there is a, a wonderful healing and ability um, for us to say it works here and with a lot of love and respect, it can work at other places. There is no need to be afraid. We, we can do this together, um, all of us. And uh, I see that as a, a wonderful opportunity to share those conversations in other places where these, these terrible things have happened. I imagine that um, it would be a great coming together of, of people, um, you know, being together on this, on this day. Yeah. Um, I'm really looking forward to it. It's a, an absolute honour to be on country. It's an absolute honour to be able to walk with the community across the bridge um, to the memorial work. And it's going to be a wonderful opportunity of, of being able to be there and to be part of something which is so very, very important to the psyche of this land. We actually interviewed, uh, we have interviewed Arnie Nolly in past mm. years um, about Mile Creek and she's actually, um, I believe, has been a speaker there sometimes as well. Yes, yes, there have been a number of speakers over the years, actually, and I know it's all up online. Sure. Um, but I, I think I've got um, a couple of people in, um, oh, a couple of years ago. Yeah, anyhow, so there's different speaker each year. So I think they had Mark Tedeschi one, one oh, year, yes. yep. a few years ago, and he was talking about, um, oh, now you're really stretching the memory. I think he was talking about war crimes. And, That's all right. Um, yep. The effect of... Um, of, uh, yeah, it's the effect of war crimes on, on a society. Indeed. Uh, and I know John Maynard also spoke um, and he was talking in the context of family history. Um, That's right. Yeah, so each, each year there is a different speaker and, a, you know, a different theme. Um, so mine's going to be all around um, Never Forget. Never Forget indeed. And, and Lisa, one of the... Please, um, please stop me if um, you feel uncomfortable, but I, I did want to say... <laughs> I did want to mention, you know, when we say massacre, and I think listeners do need to to hear this. Um, I, I often, some very rarely, sometimes I might have a complaint to the show saying that my descriptions are too graphic um, about what happened to Aboriginal people, and this did happen on one occasion some years ago now. But um, when you say massacre, you mean that they threw th throw people over the cliff. Or how, what? What is the massacre exactly? What? Are, what are they? What's done there? I don't know uh, what the definition of massacre is. No, not the definition, but what? But what? What, yeah. what happens? You know. That, yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Um, so um, basically, people were camped uh, on on um, on a place. They were working with the people who had control of that place, and non-Aboriginal people um, had control of this place. Um, and a number of other people came. Um, they tied people up and they took them away from the campsite. 
um, a number of people were set aside for females, uh, were set aside for other purposes, unfortunately. A couple of them escaped, but uh, at the end of the day, uh, they were slaughtered um, by hand and that their bodies, I hate talking about this, um, were, were burnt. Um, yes. And that the remains of something like 30-odd people, 28 to 30 people, um, were, were uh, located at that place. It is unclear exactly how many, uh, but it was at least that number. Um, it was unclear of whether there were other uh, people who had fled and died as a result of their injuries uh, into the bush. So um, we know that by any measure, the death of 28 people by violence at one time, um, you would rarely describe that as anything other than, uh, you know, a massacre. So uh, if, if, if people get nervous about those sorts of terms uh, on the radio, then, um, you know, this is what we have to deal with. This is what we, we all as Australians yeah. have to deal with because this is the absolute truth of what happened here and we don't know the extent of how far that went. What we do know is that every year that passes, we learn more about the country we learn more about our place and we learn a lot more about what happened since 1788 on this country. And just to reassure those, um, those listeners that knowing the truth of our wonderful nation that we call Australia, in my humble opinion, the best place in the world to live, um, knowing the roots of this place, the good, the bad and the ugly, and owning that will make us a stronger, better nation and will make us a more resilient nation. It will make us a more unified nation uh, because we are brave enough and courageous enough to understand the history of how we got here as a nation in this time in 2019. So it takes, um, I think it's a real act of people's citizenship to own the right and the responsibility to know the history. And this is very much a part of that history. Absolutely, Lisa. And, and you know, I wanted to, to thank you for for mentioning all those things because often what tends to happen, you know, and it's, it's, it's emotional, isn't it? Yeah, it, it is. It is very emotional. And often what tends to happen is, you know, on ABC TV and radio, um, it's talked about, you know, they say it's a massacre, but they don't actually say what happened. And I'm not here to be sadistic. You know, I'm here to just to point out the truth because people need to know. They need to know. Yeah. Yeah, it's... Um, and there's a lot of information online now. There's a lot of resources to help people that, that get affected by this stuff. Um, you know, we, we have Aboriginal people. We live with this every day. It doesn't matter where we come from. We've all had this experience in our background. Um, no matter who we are, we've been affected by it. To be able to be embraced by our non-Aboriginal brothers and sisters, um, I think is a real um, joy uh, to have people who will be walking with us on that day who are not Aboriginal people holding hands and sharing with respect to that journey is a real joy. It's empowering for us all. Uh, it's reconciliatory. Uh, it's decency. It's belonging, and it's really what we all need to do. We're talking a lot about truth and reconciliation. We're talking a lot about voice. We're talking a lot about representation. We're also talking a lot about how it is we embrace the true history of this land so we can grow together into the future. And, yes, it's, it's hard, absolutely, um, and we can't apologise for that because it is. It just is. So, yeah, listeners, um, you've had quite a lot of information given to you today about Mile Creek. And if you want to rock up to that memorial, um, do so. Now, what dates are they, Lisa, that particular memorial? Uh, the memorial um, is occurring on the, um, the 9th of June. Yeah. Uh, so that's this Sunday. Um, and I've already given you um, yes. a little bit of information. Sure. There is some information. If you Google Mile Creek, our shared history, or Mile Creek Memorial or Ceremony or Gathering, uh, you will find, you know, you'll bounce onto that website pretty quickly. Um, there's a group called Friends of Mile Creek Memorial Incorporated, um, and they are also individuals that you can get in touch with 
um, I think the here we are, I've just found the email, uh, the website, www.milecreek, in one word, M Y A L L C R E E K dot org. Look, it's been a great honour um, to have you, Lisa. I was really looking forward to talking to you today, and I hope you you um, you found it okay speaking to us as well. Oh, look, the honour's all mine. I feel really privileged um, that you would think to talk to me about this. I'm not of that country, but I'm, I'm really that's okay. Just deeply moved to be invited to come. Uh, and talk, and I look very much forward to seeing everybody on Sunday. And I want to thank you very much for gripping this up on your radio show. It's a biggie, important stuff, more power to you. <laughs> you know, um, Lisa, before we go, I was actually looking at your bio, and I'm really itching to ask you this question. Um, All right. Like you, finally, um, you know, you, you put yourself through medical training and you chose mm-hmm. a career in Indigenous health. And one of the things that I have learnt over the years and is that often, particularly in mission days, um, women and children in particular were not given proper medical training and were ostracised a lot, weren't they, especially when they had their babies. Can you comment on, on some of that stuff? Yeah, I know that women have been, you know, delivering babies since you died, um, <laughs> obviously. Yeah. Um, but jokes aside... Um, That's right, they had their own rituals, yeah. Exactly, and people were taken away, and this is a really big deal, people were taken away from their ability to be able to use the practices that their mothers and grandmothers and others had used in the delivery of their babies. Um, And so, of course, child uh, mortality went through the roof um, and people were, uh, you know, very uh, unable to transfer that sacred knowledge of birthing practices uh, between generations. A lot of our people are, are coming back to that knowledge, which is wonderful. There's lots and lots of programs that have been going on for some years around midwifery training for Aboriginal health workers and others. Um, and some of those knowledges are coming back because there are people that still have that that knowledge and they're sharing that knowledge. Uh, and that's very, very powerful. I think over time there'll be more and more of that kind of translation into everyday practice. And that's something that I work hard uh, on in part of my world, I work with the Australian Medical Council, and part of the work we do is around making sure that we accredit the medical schools. Part of the medical school accreditation is that they share, as part of the curriculum at university, teaching our doctors how to work properly with Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander patients, but also understanding Aboriginal worldviews when it comes to health. And so that's very much a part of that story. It's, it's a wonderful space to be in. I'm so glad, and, and that's really what I was wanting to talk about, the fact that, you know, Aboriginal women have had rituals and ceremonies for thousands of years. And mm-hmm. I'm glad Absolutely. that there's there's work being done to, you know, to, ha- to have a look at that. Lisa, thank you so much for coming on, onto the program and for, your, for the benefit of yourself and also for the benefit of listeners. This show will be available via podcast if, if you're interested in, in downloading that and listening to that next week. Fantastic. Thank you so much and I really look forward to, to seeing everybody on Sunday. Absolutely. And I wanted to also thank Elaine um, who made the interview possible. <laughs> the lovely Elaine. Thank you. I'll, and and thank I'll let her know. Please, yeah. She's been thanked on air. <laughs> I'll let her know. <laughs> let her know. Awesome. And um, and also thanks to Joe Miller as well, who um who who's the one of the media organizers for Mile Creek for Friends of Mile Creek. Fantastic. Well all, all, all honours to all. Thank you so much for your time. Thanks a lot, Lisa. Thanks. Okay. Bye-bye. Thank you. Bye-bye. And that was um, Lisa Jackson um, who is was interviewed in regards to Mile Creek and we talked a lot about the massacres and, and rec- a little, you know, it, it is in the context of Reconciliation Week mm. really um, that we need to really acknowledge those massacres and realise that, you know, it, it is really important to address those things. And we're um, um, on Radiothon Week, isn't it, now? Yep, it's Radiothon Week, as I said earlier on in the show. Yeah, I was just thinking about how we're sitting in the studio now with a warm air, not aircon, what do you call it? Heating. Heating. Aircon, <laughs> and, not now. <laughs> and um, we wouldn't have that if because of listeners, listeners donating to mm-hmm. 3CR. That's right. So 
when you can donate to us. <laughs> Please donate to all shows at 3CR and um, that's particularly the language programs that are happening now. Yeah. Radiothon has started. Um, our show in particular is coming up this Monday from 4 to 5 um, p.m. and it's going to be um, a cracker of a show. We've got a lot of really fabulous um, listener content promoting Radiothon and promoting our show. And we've got snippets as well that we've um, prepared and collected um, showcasing our work over the year. And so it's really important to try to, to listen to that next Monday and see if you can pledge before that. Our, our target is um, $850. Monday, Monday. CR is a community radio license holder. What you hear on community radio is governed by the community radio codes of practice. The codes of practice cover matters relating to program content, including local content, news, current affairs, Australian music, programs for children, and the responsibilities associated with broadcasting by and for the community. They also cover aspects such as community access and participation in the operation of this station. Copies of the code are available from the 3CR website. Go to 3cr.org.au forward slash who we are. And you're back with the Doing Time show. So thank you to our, our guests for coming in. It's approximately – well, it's not coming in. We interviewed our guests. Thank you to both of them. <laughs> <laughs> well, kind of like they did come in, didn't they? Yeah, they did. They did. And it's approximately 4.55. So we've got two minutes left um, of our show. And, yeah, just to remind listeners yet again that today is Marbo Day, the 3rd of June, and I believe that um, Joe Toscano, who is actually a broadcaster uh, at 3CR – he um, organised an event at Federation Square, um, 3rd of June, today. And um, as I said earlier on, today is the 3rd of June and in 1992, the High Court of Australia ended the legal fiction, the Australian continent and the islands surrounding Australia were owned by no one. So, yeah, we've got about a minute left and we're going to be going out with our theme song, Black Fella, White Fella. Um, by the Rumpy Band, and we've got Beyond Zero coming up next. And good luck to them for their radiothon um, True, eh? as well. And they, remember to donate to them as well. They do some really important work for the environment. Donate to all the Aboriginal shows as well, the Karoo shows. There's a lot to do, a lot to do. Um, all donations are tax deductible. And please don't forget to donate to our show. $850 is our target. So it's goodbye from Marissa. And see you all. Take care from Peter. Take care. Bye. Bye. Take care of each other.